Hello, everybody, and welcome to PokeSports Plus, an extra podcast by PokeSports, where we talk with different people from the Pokemon community. I'm Mike, and I play with one Pokemon on the field. I'm Kevin. I play with two Pokemon on the field. And today we're joined by Aaron Cybertron Zhang. Aaron, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me, guys. Aaron, you guys might know uh, from, you know, pretty much anywhere in the Pokemon community. If you've been <laughs> playing Pokemon competitively for any number of years, months, you will probably have heard of or at least passed by Cybertron at some point. I've been playing competitive VGC and I have a bunch of uh, notes here that I'm, I'm hoping you can kind of fact check me on. You've been playing competitive VGC since 2008. Is that correct? Yep. Since its first year. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> making your debut in, in junior. So you've you are probably one of the the first people that we've ever spoken with that can honestly say that they've been through the entire uh play pokemon gamut you know like yep. people who started in juniors then went to seniors then masters now you're a commentator and a content creator like you've been you've been doing a lot of stuff pretty much all of it yeah i've done a little bit of everything but it's been a really exciting uh, journey so far your your journey through through pokemon is is kind of what i wanted to to speak about with you today just going all the way back from from 2008 when you started in juniors what what kind of things have have changed really in the in the in the play pokemon space oh my goodness i mean everything like in 2008 <laughs> back then it actually wasn't even called uh vgc it was called like the video game showdown and that's right there were two qualifiers one in new york one in florida that led to a world championships that only had 16 players from the u.s and 16 players from japan and uh, it was like all of that was single elimination back then so that kind of you know led to the actual creation of vgc which officially i guess started in 2009 um, but so much has changed since then, you know, these tournaments used to be single elimination, they used to be kind of on like a tour basis, you know, it'd always be in springtime, you'd have like five to six regionals that led into nationals, led into worlds. And uh, now we have a very expansive circuit with, you know, local tournaments, uh, regionals now are Right. aren't single elimination they're not best of one either uh back in the old days you actually didn't even have chairs to sit on during tournaments which is pretty crazy <laughs> <laughs> like way back in the day that just wasn't a thing overall you know the scene's grown a lot uh it's gotten a lot more serious it's gotten a lot more competitive players have gotten a lot better uh there's a lot more support now for these tournaments especially the fact that we have you know all our major events being broadcasted so a lot of cool mm -hmm. things that have happened uh since the beginning of the scene i'm super curious here since 2008, what did the meta look like in 2008? If oh you can gosh. even remember that. That's a loaded question. <laughs> yeah, oh. in 2008 specifically, like, Trick Room was pretty common. Um, really? And back then, you know, like, I feel like Japanese players, because they'd already been playing doubles for mm -hmm. a long time, even before VGC existed, were kind of setting uh, the pace for the meta. So uh, things like, you know, Level 1 Smeargle, uh, Metagross, Snorlax, uh, I think like Dusk Noir as well. There are definitely a lot of Trick Room teams. Rain was, you know, relatively common. You could run like Ludicolo, mm -hmm. Kingdra. You know, that definitely deviated. Like 2009, I think once uh, there was a more grounded circuit, especially because I think, uh, you know, Europe was actually part of that circuit as well. Um, there were just a lot more teams and a lot more tournaments. And so like Zapdos, Garchomp was really, really common back in 2009. Mm -hmm. um, right. But the world's teams from 09 are actually really cool. Like there was like a Shedinja in the finals. There was a Toxicroak in the finals, a Moltres, oh, I believe as well. Now, in, in terms of your, I guess, accolades during during your, your time playing competitively um highest achievement that i could find at least uh third place at 2013 world championships yep that's correct how did how did that feel to to get there what what was that like yeah it was a really cool experience i think um obviously you know everyone that plays competitively and you know 
wants to win. Like everyone's goal is to to win it all. But uh, right. back then, that was my first year in the Masters division, and I was either the youngest or like second youngest uh, competitor in Masters at Worlds that year. I had just finished up my time in senior, so you know while I wanted to do well. I had no idea how that Worlds would play out. And so to finish third at like my first Masters Worlds was super exciting. But, uh, you know, I can't help but think and have some regret about not winning that entire tournament because like the semifinals was very, very close. And you know, anyone who's watched it <laughs> has seen yeah. that it's probably like one of the unluckiest sets I've ever played in Pokemon. But oh, no. it was a lot of good uh, lessons to learn, too, because despite getting insanely unlucky, like I also could have played a lot better. So I took a lot, I think, away from that. Um, but you know, it was a really cool experience. And that year was really special to me because my brother actually won the juniors division, uh, if for the entire tournament. So that was, that was like a really neat experience to have. And I think because he won, mm -hmm. it made me feel better about not winning the entire tournament myself in masters. That's so cool. Does, uh, does, does Babytron still play? He does. Yeah. I mean, we were going to get back into it this season. Um, but obviously the season's been canceled and he got top 16 right. actually at his first masters worlds back in 2018. So He's still very, very good at the game. Mm -hmm. Let's let's fast forward a bit to uh, just recently in the past, uh, I want to say a couple couple of years. When did you start uh, commentating? They reached out to me in 2016 um, because some commentators uh, were they had a space opening basically up and uh, I'd always expressed interest in commentating, but I wasn't 18 before 2016, so they okay. legally couldn't ask me, actually. But uh, once they had an open spot, they reached out to me and uh, I already got in my world's invite in 2016 in like mid-February and they needed me for nationals. So I was like, OK, uh, I didn't have a team that I really wanted to use at nationals. I didn't feel very strong about the format, so I figured I'd give it a try and see how things went. Uh, and I really, really enjoyed it. So I ended up actually uh, skipping out on worlds that year, despite having an invite to commentate um and then after then since you know i was starting college as well i was transitioning to like the next phase of my life trying to figure out what i wanted to do in my life and uh, mm -hmm. you know do well in school as well it just made sense to uh, focus more on commentary and less on competing so i still actually played a lot uh the following season once sun and moon came out i uh, got my world's invite that year as well and actually played in worlds that year but uh, i didn't do super well and afterwards i had to ask myself like uh, and I told myself if I want to play in worlds in the future, I have to be confident in my chances of winning and I have to like put in as much prep as possible. And mm. if I don't feel you know great about my chances of winning or uh, don't take it seriously, then I should be commentating. Um, and then right. 2018, 2019, I actually didn't really play at all um, because I was focused on school. So uh, commentary just made sense. And so while you were while you were doing that, I assume there's there's some element of research that kind of goes into into being able to commentate well. And we are mm. speaking with rosemary a few weeks ago and she had mentioned the same kind of thing that most of what happens in commentary is the prep work mm -hmm. um so what did what did that look like for you how did you how did you do your your prep yeah i think honestly a lot of my prep comes uh naturally which is interesting mainly because i still play the game a lot especially to make uh -huh. content so by playing so much like on the online ladder and by just you know following results on twitter and watching like vods of like recent tournament replays i feel like even though I'm not as, you know, of a top player as maybe I used to be years ago, I'm still able to really, you know, see what uh, is really common in the metagame, see like what strategies might be trending going into a tournament. And, you know, I'm also really good friends with a lot of the top players nowadays. And so being able to talk to them, uh, that provides a lot of insight as well. So uh, I feel like just by making content and playing a lot of games on like relatively high ladder, I'm still able to, you know, stay in shape um and so mm -hmm. i'd say a lot of the prep work then comes into just playing a lot of games uh seeing what top players are using and sometimes maybe researching what 
and who the top players are going into a tournament and what they might be using because that kind of dictates the pace of uh, tournaments. You fair enough. You mentioned content creation. What came first, your your inspiration to create content or your inspiration for commentating? Yeah, I definitely think it starts with content creation, mainly because mm-hmm. through content creation, like I realized, hey, I really like talking about the game. And so <laughs> sure. it was funny because I started making content in 2014, right after Worlds in 2013. And uh, they had an opening, like a, you know, audition uh, period for anyone who oh, wanted yeah. to be a commentator in 2014. I actually like posted. I was like, hey, like, I really want to do this. But uh, like, I wish I was 18. And they were like, so do we. <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally. Exactly. So. Uh, I, you know, I think like that kind of uh, set the tone, but that's a really cool question. Yeah, I think uh, by commentating my own games, I'm like, oh, I, you know, I've played this game for a long time. I know about the history of the game uh, pretty well. So it's something that I'd like to apply my skills to. And with, you know, com- uh, with competing, it's like it's cool because you have so many people root for you and a lot of fans, but you can't always guarantee that you do well at every tournament and losing on stream can mm-hmm. definitely uh, you know, suck. But as a commentator, I'm you know guaranteed to be able to improve the viewing experience, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah i figured okay well if i'm not confident in my ability to win a tournament and sometimes you know that is the case maybe you know i play for a while realize i don't have a good team that i like um whereas other tournaments i feel really confident in then i'd rather dedicate it towards you know improving the broadcast experience by being a commentator for said tournament right and i mean i've I've, i think that kind of translates very well into uh into the the content space right like the the whole ability to commentate and then go into your youtube videos and, and actually commentate over that like that's how people used to make uh pokemon videos back in the day and they yep. still do but yep. uh back then it was it was all commentary like if you wanted to make uh, uh pokemon based content you were speaking over battles that either you had or uh or you know were were played by by the pros um nowadays it's that plus all of these other you know creative ways of making content like i know you're you're involved in some way with with ball swipes gaming how good was blank actually mm-hmm. um so i mean like there's there's videos like that where they talk about uh, you know, specific Pokemon and how they, they performed over the years. And then of course, all of the, the road to ranked uh, videos that, that you've made and that other people have made. Um, it, it's such an interesting kind of trajectory that, that Pokemon has gone. Definitely. Yeah. I think uh, it's interesting seeing how much the content scene has changed, but it, at the same time stayed the same. Um, and it's cool mm-hmm. just because, you know, growing up, I watched a lot of Pokemon content. So it was cool to, you know get bigger and be able to meet these people and work with them and i've really enjoyed pretty much everyone i've met through you know the pokemon youtube scene or just pokemon in general so uh it's cool to see new creators come up but also see old creators thrive as well and i I like this uh kind of timeline that we're we're establishing here through this conversation but um I, i feel like at this point right now uh in in our timeline we're talking about uh panda global when when did you join panda global i joined them i think it was about a year and a half ago so around june or july of 2018 and and so since then you've been playing under under the panda global name um is that as a as a commentator as a as a competitor like both what what's that like yeah it's a little bit of everything i told them when i signed on with them that i wouldn't be taking the 2018 uh slash 2019 seasons super seriously my goal was to come back for sword and shield but unfortunately mm-hmm. the rest of the season's obviously been canceled right um, yeah. not let there was obviously any choice that was the only correct option to do but 
they've been really supportive. I think they're a really interesting team in the esports space. Um, and I'm actually going to be working in like esports professionally full time after graduating from college. So it's cool to see how uh, Panda has positioned themselves relative to the you know rest of the teams that exist. But they've been yeah. super supportive. Their owners are incredibly, incredibly smart. They, they have very, very highly educated backgrounds. And I think it's really cool to see uh, them kind of, you know, be one of the trend centers in the industry. But uh, overall, like PG is a really cool group of people. They have a very, you know, specific like uh, mission too in terms of like the players that they recruit and uh, they've been super supportive. And when I, you know, I told them like, hey, I probably won't be competing very much. They were like, yep, that's totally okay. Like we'll provide you with uh, all the resources like, you know, you need and want uh, to succeed. And, you know, I'm actually now like streaming more on Twitch specifically. Uh, and like, they've been super supportive of that as well. So they're just like a really cool group of people to be a part of. And it, it feels like, you know, kind of like a small family, especially because, you know, some other esports teams, like there's just so many people, but with Panda, Absolutely. like it's still, it's like more tight knit. Um, and so it's cool. Like there's like a group chat where all the players and the staff members are part of, and you know, people are talking there every day. Uh, and overall, they're just like a really cool group of people. Yeah. I mean, Panda Global has kind of been, been on my radar for, for a long time, actually. I, I, I used to follow, um, you know, the smash community a lot. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they have quite a presence in, in smash. And so when they, when they got into Pokemon, I was like, Oh, all right. Awesome. Cool. And then they got you and then they got Wolf. Um, it, it's interesting to me that they will, uh, uh, kind of support you in just your, your endeavor toward a, a game that is relevant to esports, And I think that's one of the things that, that we are really passionate about on, on Pokesports specifically is that, you know, we want to talk to people and we want to to help develop Pokemon as an esport because it's been there for a long time, but nobody really sees it as as such or not as many as as other games. Um, and, and so I guess my, my question there to you is, is how do you think that that Pokemon and, and by extension Panda Global um, or even by extension yourself is promoting Pokemon as as an esport? Yeah, that's definitely an interesting question. And I think about it a lot myself as well. I think mm. like you, I have, you know, high ambitions for the game, uh, especially because, you know, I think like Wolf's success in uh, Sword and Shield has been super awesome to see because basically it says, hey, this is like a viable path. Like, you know, he's more mm. famous or popular in, on Twitch and YouTube now than a lot of, for example, even like Super Smash Brothers professionals. So absolutely, you know, yeah. that's, I think, super, super cool. And I, I think like, you know, we, the scene needs to support it more, right? So I think like tournament broadcasts can definitely be improved, um, like live streams. I think building up individual personalities is still a really big deal because right now, like a lot of the uh, best players aren't, you know, super well known. So having more people that can build up the scene is good. Mm -hmm. Having more content that gets people into the scene is good as well. Not just as like a competitive scene, but for example, like, you know, the Smash Bros documentary was like a huge, huge thing for the revival of Melee. And yeah. I think- it'd be super cool for more stories and narratives to come out for, uh, you know, VGC, because there are actually a lot of cool storylines. There are a lot of cool people, but uh, because no one does this full time, uh, there aren't really any like, or not too many projects that really explore. I think like Wolf's actually made a lot of really cool videos where he talks about like the history of a tournament and he watches like the finals of it. So uh, content like that, I think is a great way to get more people into it as well. So 
you know, we have a pretty thriving tournament scene at this point. People obviously want to play the game and that's super awesome. So now it's more about uh, getting people committed to watching the game, getting people committed right. to being fans of a lot of the, you know, competitive players. And a lot of that comes through building storylines, whether it's through content on YouTube or through the official broadcast on Twitch. A lot of it comes from content creation too, right? Just content creators supporting the game in general. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the fun things about every time, you know, a new gen comes out is that like a lot of, you know, content creators who might not even be like very dedicated into VGC mm -hmm. uh, get kind of interested into it. And by them getting interested, you know, a lot of their fans also will uh, maybe pick it up. So, you know, Sword and Shield has obviously like bridged a lot of the gaps as well, where now it's a lot more accessible to get Pokemon in game. And so and rental teams make it super easy to battle online. So, absolutely. Uh, a lot of good like quality of life changes that make it easier. And hopefully like I am sure, you know, those changes will stick around. So uh, I really feel like Sword and Shield is like, you know, the first not the first step, but uh, one big leap towards where we want to be. Especially too, if um, you mentioned the rental teams just now, for sure that that cuts a lot of time out of a lot of people's um i guess onboarding into the into the competitive space because people can just say all right let me let me try out these teams see if if competitive is where i want to be and then once they actually get into that then they can move move ahead through the rest of the game and actually you know start to breed and create their own their own characters which is which is fun in and of itself but um i, I feel like is a is a big barrier to entry in in pokemon as an esport you look at a game like and i've made this uh distinction before but um like you look at overwatch you you start you start up the game you you play maybe a tutorial and then you can pretty much go into any kind of uh ranked any kind of you know thing to develop your skills versus versus pokemon where you go through the whole game uh as a a one-on-one -on -one format and then you hit the end of the game and now competitive the end game end game is two versus two and then you have to learn this entirely new way to play with an entirely new you know set of moves um and then you also have to learn the competitive space like it's it's tough yeah absolutely so it's good that you know they're taking even more steps because you know actually rental teams were a thing in sun and moon but uh, they yeah. were a lot more confusing. You know, you had to like sign up on their website, uh, put in like a QR code. You had to take an actual picture with your 3DS. So now, oh, you know, that's right. uh, it's so much. It's interesting to see, you know, this one small change moving from QR codes. to just like a uh, letter slash number codes has made it that much easier for people to get into it. And it's exciting to see how many people are playing like the rank ladder nowadays. Mm -hmm. The display is pretty good, too, just to to be able to take a screenshot with your switch of the uh of the rental code with your team exactly at a glance yes yep yep and it's it's cool because like so many top players are sharing like you know teams that they use online so uh, it's made it a yeah. lot more accessible for people to just like easily pick up the game you know a lot of times people will be like oh like i want to get into it but i don't want to breed pokemon i'll be like oh well just you know check out these resources there's literally over like 50 teams you can try out exactly watch these videos we've we've literally shown you what the team can do and and where <laughs> exactly to how to understand it yeah on the topic of rental codes how are you liking torcat because i'm interested in it and i'm seeing that you're using your rental code for torcat from malmo it's it's definitely more than just a niche pokemon honestly i mean it fits mm -hmm. onto the team really really well it's way better than incineroar for that team specifically because of how fast it is so i think this format has been really exciting and it's you know a shame once again that the season won't go on because uh, the mm -hmm. rule set I think is really fun and I feel like there's so many cool Pokemon that are constantly like coming up with each tournament that uh, people are building really solid teams around, you know, for uh, the Australia International Championships, like 
Gorgeist did a really big showing there, yeah. um, which was super cool to see. Uh, Sylveon, you know, was able to win the finals as well. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, every with every tournament, there's always just like new stuff that people are using. And uh, Torcat, I think, was is a really strong option. You know, it's obviously a little bit more uh, specific to a team, but it makes a lot of sense on that team because uh, that team you're referring to is relatively slow. So having a fast uh, parting shot is really good. And uh, because that team revolves very heavily around setting up weakness policy, Tyranitar, uh, being able mm. to self U-turn yourself, just to activate weakness policy is really cool. So uh, yeah, you know, I think one of the best things about a format as open as this is that there's so many Pokemon that are strong and viable. All right. And with that, let's take a little break. And then when we come back, let's continue talking about Pokemon. I want to get into uh, the Champions Cup as well. Because uh, I know that's that's coming up, and that's been really exciting for a lot of people. Uh, we're we're really starved for tournaments, and this is a big one. So, want to talk about that one uh, when we come back. Welcome back to Poke Sports Plus and our conversation with Aaron Cybertron Zhang. Before we went on the break, we talked a little bit about. Uh, the the whole fact that VGC is is canceled. Um, I, I do want a VGC 2020, I should say. Whoa, <laughs> careful. All of uh, I do gone. want to kind of get into that a little bit. Let's talk about the cancellation of VGC 20. Uh, of course, it's a it's a tragedy and it, it, it makes sense that it had to happen. Um, but w- apart from that, what like what are your your what are your thoughts on the matter? First of all, it is the only correct thing to do absolutely there's no way we can continue the season so i am proud of pokemon for being proactive and making uh, the decision you know earlier on and Mm -hmm. i think it is a shame because this was an amazing year for the game it was a big opportunity for growth because it was a brand new generation and a brand new game but there is just no feasible way there's no way I would attend any tournament or any gathering, you know, for the next couple of months, especially with a large amount of people. So I think it's, you know, pretty much every major game has been announcing cancellations of their, you know, seasons or circuits and or moving to online. So I think that is definitely, uh, you know, the correct thing to do. That being said, I hope that we can still have online tournaments. And I you know, I think you're seeing a lot of grassroots efforts as well. And there have been a couple of uh, sites, you know, like uh, Trainer Tower with their Rose Tower circuit and Victory Road uh, that have been very proactive even before all of this in creating, trying to create and curate like an online circuit or just have these mm-hmm. major online tournaments. And you know, Wolfie and A-Drive are now holding the Champions Cup as well. So uh, I think the good thing is that fans of VGC will still be able to play competitively uh, for relatively big, you know, prize pools as well. Like mm-hmm. uh, the Champions Cup, once again, has like 1,400 players and like first place gets like $5,000. That's as big as an international yeah. challenge, which is, uh, or championships, uh, which is crazy. So I think, um, you know, it sucks, especially because for so many of us, like this is our hobby. It's so fun. It's a great way to kind of, you know, escape from what's happening. And right now, but you know, with the circumstances, like it absolutely is the correct call. And uh, yeah. I think Pokemon handled it um, quite well. So I'm proud of the company uh, for, for you know, announcing all of it. Uh, but the reality of the world is that we shouldn't be doing anything outside of our homes, <laughs> right, at least for exactly. the next couple of months. And uh, especially with how severe it is in the United States uh, and a lot of the European countries as well. There's just no way that this season could continue. Another unfortunate thing about all of that is just that it was... I feel like with Sword and Shield specifically, like 
there has been new life breathed into a lot of the Pokemon community. You've been able to see uh, several content creators just, you know, shoot up in, in popularity because of all the people who, who want to, to be into the game and who are becoming into the game. Um, and so now to, to kind of have that um, not necessarily squashed, but uh, diverted into, into more of an online only uh, sentiment much like kind of any esport these days right now anyway but let, let's let's talk about those online tournaments though you you had mentioned the champions cup and i i know that that's uh you know something that you're you're loosely involved in how about you uh talk about in in what way are you uh, associated with the the champions cup yeah i'll mainly be commentating matches so it's you know a two-day tournament and so i think we'll mainly be broadcasting matches from top cut onwards so uh the way it works is, you know, there's six commentators, so we'll be just be rotating in and out on Wolfie and uh, A Drive's channel, and you know, it's kind of like a major online tournament, basically. Like this is a huge, huge event, and mm-hmm. it's bigger than almost every, if not every, like live tournament we've had. Like 1,400 oh, people uh, registering is crazy, so um, it's really exciting. I think it'll be a really cool experience for fans, and uh, you know, I think this tournament experience has a lot more casual players as well uh, that maybe you know uh, not at as well versed in VGC, but are big fans and want to get into it. So I think this is such a great opportunity to get people who aren't just like, you know, hardcore VGC fans uh, into the scene. So I think that's one of the many great things about uh, the Champions Cup. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Tons of great things about that. I mean, like, just look at the fact that at this point right now, there are so many people who are into Pokemon and have always been very into Pokemon, but have never had the time or had the resources or anything like that to actually get out and, and go to a a broadcasted uh, regional national worlds. So now you have the opportunity for people who are at home anyway to actually participate in this. And and that's so cool. Like we're going to see names that we've never heard before who are just so good at the game. Mm-hmm. Up and coming names too. I mean, we we use the term VGC twenty was canceled, but in all reality, it still lives and it lives through content creation oh, sure. and through the the community. That's what makes this community so great. Is that yeah, you can you can take away the circuit, but the circuit lives on online regardless. We'll make our own tournaments. We'll we'll talk to each other on our own chats. We'll still continue to play online. Like nothing changes from here on out, other than you know live events. And I I think you know one thing is for sure like a lot of top players are a little bit less motivated because for mm-hmm. a lot of people like so much motivation revolves around not just doing well in tournaments but making it to worlds and trying to win worlds and so with that being mm-hmm. canceled like it, it is a shame but uh because there are so many more online opportunities you know at least that's another avenue for people so it's you know it'll be cool to see how these online tournaments shake up for the next couple of weeks and months because you know there's a big opportunity here for us to uh grow the online scene uh while like actual tournaments are not happening but um yeah i i think you know for a lot of players that i know like a lot of top players they're maybe not as interested just because playing online is definitely a different experience and with no uh chance to you know make it to like worlds uh that definitely then you know it does definitely doesn't feel the same that being said i'm sure a lot of people will try to organize like a circuit or like maybe a world an online world right. so it's grassroots so we'll see how that goes and mm-hmm. uh i don't know what the plans from the pokemon company themselves actually are but um it'd be cool to see them explore online tournaments a little bit more in the next couple of months as well for sure yeah no to see to see online tournaments uh really come up through through the main company would be would be a, a sight to see um I, I know that for their for their in-person tournaments they've 
they've kind of done everybody a solid in that. And I'm not sure if this is actually like this for VGC. I know that it is for TCG, but I assume that it is. Um, that anybody who's accumulated any points thus far into into VGC 2020 will automatically have those points uh, for VGC 2021. Mm -hmm. So if they do start uh, their next season next next year, everybody kind of going in or even whenever everything kind of opens up again, everybody going into that will already have an advantage. Like I already know a couple people who <laughs> basically have their world's invite mm -hmm. for for 2021 already. Um, so it's nice that they're doing that. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, that is how things should be honored, and I'm glad they went down that path. But with the with the Champions Cup, um, so you're you're going to be a commentator. Uh, you know, I'm you've, I'm sure you've been around the the other people as they're kind of putting this together. In in my eyes, everything's kind of looked pretty seamless. Like everything, if there has been any major stressors then they have not been kind of showing that to the to the public which is which is very nice and very professional and i like to see that but um has has there been anything you know kind of stressful going on with with putting this together or has everything just kind of been going smoothly i haven't really done much of the organizing myself that being said mm -hmm. i think obviously with 1400 people any 1400 person event is going to take a lot of planning but i think there's a really sure. great staff team behind the champions cup including all the tournament organizers all the uh players who are putting in input as well and like you couldn't ask for a better group of people to be running like an online tournament for the champions Agreed. cup so all the people behind the scenes are putting an immense amount of work uh, that being said you know it's not game day yet and this weekend i think will be uh, really stressful for the organizers but if there's any team i have faith in it is the team that is behind this tournament like with any online tournament there is no way that things just go seamless from beginning to end especially when you're mm -hmm. dealing with literally you know over a thousand people um i think that's just you know to be realistic but um i think because the people that are working on this tournament have a lot of experience they're making it as seamless as can be and uh that obviously it takes a lot of stress off away from, you know, like the organizers in a driving Wolfie, which is really great. And uh, I just want to, you know, give them a shout out because there, there've been a lot mm -hmm. of people like over 10 people behind the scenes that are constantly contributing uh, calling, like to plan out the logistics, writing out documents. So um, it's good that, you know, things have been relatively seamless up to this point, obviously like registration for it was really crazy. But mm -hmm. uh, once again, like with an event like this, like things never are perfect, but you can, if you have a good team behind it, then, uh, it will make the process as seamless as possible. And I think like uh, all the tournament organizers, all the people that are contributing behind the scenes um, and all the staff members are doing an incredible job to try to make it as seamless as possible. It was it was really funny to see on uh, registration day uh, <laughs> the the stress that all the people who wanted to register for this put on the put on the tournament website on Battlefy. I thought that was really funny and really good, like a good a good thing to see. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> means people were interested and people wanted it to happen um whenever something like that breaks the internet i am happy to see it happen <laughs> something that's really really telling with how big this tournament is i remember back when we started pokesports galler weekly was going on and they they first oh, yeah. reached their 100 player tournament we're like oh that's such a big number but now we're at 1400 do you think that has to do with you know the popularity of vgc 20 like what do you think of vgc 20 as as a metagame I think there are a couple things. First of all, to answer the metagame question, I think mm. it's a really good metagame and that definitely draws interest. And I think mm. a lot of the reason why the, this tournament is so huge is just primarily because A-Drive and Wolfie have really, really big fan bases. Um, I mean, A-Drive has literally over, what, like 550,000 subscribers yeah. on YouTube. <laughs> like that, yeah. So, like, um, 
I, I think, you know, it's a mix of everything, right? Tournaments this year in general have been really popular. Like Dallas regionals was the largest modern day regionals we've ever had. And a lot of that's because it's a brand new generation, brand new game. Like every time a new gen comes out, that year typically is the most popular. So, with you know, X and Y in 2014, Sun and Moon in 2017, and now Sword and Shield. So uh, all of the pieces have kind of aligned together. The metagame is fun, I, I think, for a lot of people as well, especially because there's so many teams. Uh, and once again, like the two organizers are two huge content creators in the scene. So that naturally draws a lot of fans uh, in by themselves. But uh, yeah, the format, I think, being diverse, being fun, definitely contributes a lot to uh perhaps more casual players being more interested in it as well and i mean let, let's talk about uh you know the fact that sword and shield is is so much uh different uh in that uh you know first of all the whole the whole dexit uh, uh thing uh with with the pokedex cut um how did I'm, I'm sure a lot of people uh kind of feel differently now about it than they did uh when it when it first was announced how did you feel about about the the pokedex cut i honestly didn't really have any opinions like I, I just didn't really think too much about it i was fine with it either way um i think yeah. i i sympathize with the fans that you know were upset about it but at the same time like i'm i was like they're definitely going to be including you know more of the pokemon in the future games or through dlcs and they've definitely already obviously started moving towards that direction so i mean i don't know like you know people were making arguments oh this can be good for competitive and in my eyes, I was like, well, you don't necessarily need to cut out Pokemon for it to be good for competitive because you could just like ban them manually. But I guess like if you don't have old legendaries coming back, then that will help. And that that is the case right. for what happened in this format. But I don't know. I, I didn't really feel strongly about it either way. And I was like, I just want to play the game and play the game. Competitively. <laughs> That's very, <yeah. laughs> like I there are other things I can get worked out about. That's not one of them. There you go. Uh, I, I know I, I found myself saying at certain times uh, during this this meta uh, that like, oh, this this wouldn't be a problem if we had X Pokemon or Y Pokemon, uh, so to speak. Uh, but but now that we've been in it for a while and we get to see kind of what what metas have, have shifted from that. Um, do you think that like any specific Pokemon being missing really uh, helped certain Pokemon shine? Um, I mean. That's a tough one, I guess. Like, the yeah, legendaries right. are always the biggest ones. Things like just, you know, Landorus or Thunderous or Cresselia or Heatran or, you know, the Tapus are probably the biggest ones, mainly because yeah. they were super, super relevant uh, in the more recent years. So I'd say any of those. I don't think the exclusion of one Pokemon specifically. Uh, like, I think if you include the Tapus, for example, uh, all four of them, that drastically changes the metagame. I think if you include, like, allow all the old legendaries to be in, that changes things dramatically as well. So... I would say those are the biggest ones that are no longer allowed um, that would dramatically change the scene. And I think, you know, it's a good thing, too, because for a lot of casual players, people are disincentivized to play because they're like, oh, everyone just uses all these legendaries, which, um, you know, there's actually a lot more diversity in VGC than people give credit for in previous years. But I get it from like a casual standpoint. You don't want to see people just constantly using the same legendaries and I, you know, there's kind of some stigma against these Pokemon, uh, especially for people that might not be as well versed with competitive plays. So one of the great right. things about 2020 is with no legendaries really being allowed. And naturally, uh, even if like you know, people obviously are use Pokemon like Togekiss or Excadrill a lot, I feel like in general, uh, there's more diversity. Plus, uh, the general casual fan base is more interested in watching because you know, they don't see the same legendaries that they think are often like just cheap to use or, you know, 
kind of makes metagames stale. That's actually an interesting point that I didn't that I didn't think about is also the fact that you know, if you, if a person needs a Togekiss on their team, they could easily breed one. Versus if they needed a Xerneas mm-hmm. on their team, mm-hmm. yeah, then you gotta go look for one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. and I think that definitely has dissuaded people in past years too, where you know they've made it mm-hmm. easier, where like legendaries now have like more guaranteed perfect IVs and whatever, but uh, it's still kind of a hassle. Um, and now with Sword and Shield, especially because like everything you're using is pretty much breathable, uh, it's very easy to like it still takes time don't get me wrong but uh it's so much easier now to get a perfect team in game than it used to be and i think that is a really big deal all right well then let's let's look at the the inverse of that uh are there any pokemon that you are excited to see kind of return to the to the metagame i honestly haven't been super in tune with what's coming in through the dlc i think like kingdra is one of them i think that'd be pretty cool scissor is one of my all-time favorite pokemon so i'd like to see that make a return uh metagross i think would actually be really disgusting if it were allowed like dynamax metagross with weakness policy would be insane because uh weakness policy metagross was actually pretty common in 20 like post worlds in 2017 with like or or even before worlds in 2017 with like bulldoze and uh i i think metagross would just be so insane in this format uh, especially because it's already defensively bulky uh but obviously very very good typing counters togekiss super hard so Mm -hmm. now that'd be interesting if that makes a reappearance but uh in general i i'm honestly yeah there's not one specific pokemon other than i guess if i had to pick one it'd be scissor just because it's my favorite pokemon um from previous gens um or one of my favorite pokemon so i think that would be fun where i think it would still not be super strong um because obviously the four times weakness to fire um but it could be a cool pokemon especially because uh swords dance plus a couple of max steel spikes uh could make it super bulky and it, it's interesting too uh you lately uh, mentioned dynamax dynamax metagross uh specifically i i think is is nuts just thinking about that right now like meteor mash turning into a, a max steel spike so you have the <laughs> you have the ability to raise your attack and then you switch that into a defense drop it's like whoa okay i think most metagrosses will run like eq so you'd have the special defense too you have a lot. Oh, yeah, true. you have a lot of options true, true. there. The common, like one of the reasons why Excadrill is so good is because you have Steel Spike and Quake on it, so you can de- boost it. You know, either way, and boost your part. And same with Durant as well, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, being able to boost uh, bulk your partners, like Sylveon or Milotic, which was what uh, Andrew's Andrew Ding's winning team from Collinsville Regionals was able to do with. Uh, and he played really well with it. Like I was super impressed with this play because. Um, you know, a lot of people just use Durant offensively, but he always like he was able to always pivot himself into really cool positions where like he would just make his Sylveon or Milotic super bulky as well um, through mm-hmm. Durant. So, yeah, Metagross would be really interesting. I'm not sure I want to see it, I guess, because it would, it, it would be really, <laughs> really strong. Uh, but I, I think that would have a major, major impact on the metagame should it come back. Yeah, I mean, it's the same kind of thing that, that people were fearing with with Incineroar uh you know i'm sure we, if we were to, to ask you that question uh, a month or two ago you would probably say like oh, i'm not not too excited to see that because then we'll see it everywhere i, I think the incinerar hype was overblown by a lot of people oh, yeah. quite honestly like it, it was people just making a big deal and, and i think like like sage and park had a really good tweet where i was like guys like incinerar is really not going to be that crazy and it's like the, the points were super logical i think it was just people trying to stir up a lot of hype and that being it's also like you know anytime like like people were freaking about G-Max Norlax, me included, because like we didn't know the effects of it super well. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, this thing's gonna be busted. But right. um, yeah, I, I think a lot of times people do overreact and don't like actually think about things. And I'm included in that for sure as well. But in Pokemon, <laughs> it's very easy to just think that. But 
Yeah, I mean, the, I think Incineroar is uh, definitely a solid Pokemon. Like, not every team uses it. Uh, it's not nearly as annoying, I think, as a... Not that it was even annoying before. Like, Incineroar has always been one of those Pokemon where it's like... It's good, right? But it's not winning you games. It's not the sweeper. It's more used as support. I think, like, people's frustrations might be from either having to see it in every game or uh, it makes, I guess, team building a little bit easier because you can just throw it as a crutch on any team. But, uh, right. yeah, as, as you guys can see, like, Incineroar is good in the metagame, but it's not, like, it's something to, I guess, cry about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's true. What what are the Pokemon to, to cry about right now? Uh, I don't think there's anything that's super annoying in this metagame. I guess if I had to pick a move, it'd be Ally Switch. Oh, which God, is, yeah. uh Just kind of annoying to play against because so many Pokemon get it now. But I think this format is more healthy than most of the other formats because there isn't something that's just like super obnoxious to deal with like you know dark void smear goal from 2016 for example <laughs> i would say for me like rhyperior a couple months ago was that pokemon but even that's mm, kind of fallen mm. off yeah i mean rhyperior is still really good but to me mm. i think like uh it, it's one of those things where like you know beating it comes to good team building it's not like oh this thing is just like so rng right. based or i can lose like yeah if a rhyperior team is winning it's probably because it's beating you and playing you well and you don't have the resources to build uh beat it which means then that you have to go back to team building and reevaluate what am i doing wrong why is this winning but it is incredibly strong like weakness policy plus dynamax is a little bit busted like i i don't mind it mainly because i think it's kind of cool that it makes every pokemon viable to an extent but uh it is interesting that for example like choice items didn't work on dynamax pokemon but like weakness policy still is like as strong as ever yeah um and yeah i wouldn't say that's an oversight because i don't think it's like super absurdly broken i guess um but definitely interesting because yeah it is very tough to play around some of these really strong weakness policy pokemon especially when they have partners that can activate it right here being the main one you just brought back a lost memory when you said dark dark forge smeargle i remember <laughs> vgc 2014 apex 2014 there was someone there that had dark void smeargle and they only would have been able to get it from legally from a japanese darkrai because darkrai was out a week earlier or something like that mm -hmm. i don't remember who beat it were you the one that beat it somebody beat it i honestly do not remember yeah. at all <laughs> somebody beat it and that blew my mind do you remember a point in 2014 <laughs> i mean he remembers the 2008 meta so that's fair that's fair <laughs> it's it's more that that is funny to me specifically just like the timing thing right like we always just assume oh you can use pokemon at any point so that yeah. that's amusing to me yeah the the whole timing of everything just that something comes out a week before and suddenly it's legal like hmm, oh okay even though you don't get it till later <laughs> right and someone would have to fly <laughs> across the world to give that to you no they had online back then if you if you were still in the the competitive scene uh, how do you think you you would stack up and this might be a loaded question to to some of the the current top competitors playing playing pokemon are there people that you're specifically scared of no not really and ah! <laughs> I, I mean I, I i don't think i'm completely out there like i played in right. dallas oh, regionals yeah, yeah. and my goal was to go for a world's invite so i'm like right. uh, i've still been pretty involved just not playing as seriously i think like there are a lot more good players now than there used to be but i think if you're a, if you have a champion mindset, your goal should be okay. I can beat anyone in the game. So no, there's go. no one I'm afraid of. He's Aaron Cybertron oh. Zang, man. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think I think I think it's like good to be confident, but not oh, cocky when you play this game. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, having like like I'm really good friends with like Aaron Trailer, Wolf Glick, Justin Karras, and they've been like yeah. the best team building group this year. So I, I think like I could definitely. Uh, 
like I was really angry at myself for not top cutting Dallas regionals because I was super close to doing that. And right. I was like, okay, I can, I like, I played so many good players in that tournament too. So I think I definitely am not at the top and it's unfortunate because now the season is over. So really won't be able to, you know, play it out. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's like, you know, there are always players that you go up against are like, Oh, like I'm going to be in for a tough match. But like part of being like, good, like a competitor is that you want, you know, to win against really good players because that shows, okay, I'm better than everyone. Mm-hmm, um, right. And I think, like, when I lost at Dallas, I was like, well, this really sucks, especially because I had such a tough schedule. I played so many, like, world-caliber players, but if I want to win and be the best, then I have to beat the best. And so uh, if I'm losing against really good players, then, uh, you know, I just have to learn from that. Um, I, lo- but, I love that, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think, uh, you know, if I, I was... My goal was to take the rest of the next couple of the months super seriously. I was going to go to Toronto regionals. I was going to go to european oh, cool. you would have seen us um so um i mean this like i really wanted to make like a full comeback this season and uh, uh dallas was the start of it and i was bummed out because like you know i started i was like six and two and if i just won one more of my last two matches would have been in that top cut uh, i felt really good about my team and my play but uh, i was just outplayed and outclassed by better players that day so mm. i think i definitely would not rank myself up very high but i know i'm still good enough to beat anyone in the game and i think um what really it comes down to is being consistent enough to not just be able to beat one good player or one really good player but able to win consistently against all these good players throughout the course of a tournament which you know are nine ten rounds now so Mm -hmm. um you know i i'm confident in my ability still but not like cocky i'm very i think i'm realistic about uh kind of where i see myself and i think next season hopefully when things get back to normal should be an exciting one because uh the reality is that people are way better at this game than they used to be so tournaments are way harder um a lot of top players even are you know bomb out of tournaments every now and then and right now i'm far away from a lot of these really really good players i'm just trying to learn as much as possible that is something that's consistent in in any esport is just that if you are going out and you are competing, that is the the number one way to uh, to get better at the game and, and to really understand how you how you uh, think in a competitive mindset, because like anybody can can play the game and play through ranked and, you know, get get high up in the master ball tier and, and think that they're they're really good at Pokemon. But it's not until you're actually sitting there in a in a competition. And for now, this this might be online and this, you know. Uh, just sitting it at home, but it's same kind of mindset. Like you either go to a competition in person or you stay at home. If you're competing and you're playing against other people who are there to compete, then you will eventually get better. And that's, that's consistent through, through anybody I've spoken to in basically any sport mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with, with all that in mind upcoming right now is the, the champions cup. Uh, is there, is there anything else that's kind of on your plate right now? What, uh, anything else that's coming up for you? um i think i'm just trying to do my best to support all the grassroots scene as well like i mentioned uh trainer tower and victory road have been doing a lot of work uh even before you know our circuits were canceled so i want to be able to support them uh in their tournaments um i streamed one uh that victory road held that was super cool and Mm. i want to be able to you just support all the grassroots organizers that are out there because it takes a tremendous amount of work. I, I think people really don't understand just how much work like tournament organizers and staff members have to put on behind the scenes to make the experience even happen in the first place. And, um, you know, online tournaments are especially crazy because you're dealing with so many people online and you, there's just so many more problems you could run into like disconnections or people like reporting scores incorrectly or whatever. So uh, I 
you know, whatever. I think we're going to have a lot of grassroots events in the next couple of months online. So I just want to play my part in supporting those, whether it's as a commentator, a player, a staff member, a streamer, in, you know, whatever facet possible. And uh, yeah, just, you know, show them the support that they deserve because uh, there are a lot of great people that are trying to make things happen right now. And it's great that we're seeing so much initiative from so many different groups of people. And I think it's exciting because now, you know, people still get to play their one of their favorite competitive games uh, and actually have like an outlet for it competitively, which I think is great. With that, I think let's uh, let's call it a day. Thank you again so much for for joining us today. Uh, is there is there anything that you would like to uh, shout out to the people? This is uh, going to be on Monday, uh, the Monday after the Champions Cup. So uh, if there's anywhere that you want people to go, let them know. Um, well, I just wanted to thank you guys for having me. I think it's super cool and uh, to have like a competitive Pokemon podcast. So I'm definitely interested in, uh, you know, tuning in more. I think it's a great way to educate the scene. So hopefully more people come out and tune into this. So thanks for having me. And overall, not really, don't really have any specific shout outs, but, you know, I just have to say, I hope everyone stays safe, healthy, uh, you know, self-distance from everyone. Uh, the world is in a really crazy time right now, but hopefully you know, Pokemon and other games can help us uh, take our minds off, you know, what's going on right, right now. So that's really all I have to say. Right. And then where can people uh, find you? Yeah, you can catch me on uh, Twitter at Cybertron VGC. I'm also on Twitch uh, under that handle and then on YouTube at Cybertron Productions. Kevin, where can people find you? Twitter and Instagram X-Rays Ovation. And you can find me at Still Just Mike, also on Twitter and Instagram. Or you can uh, check out Pokesports at youtube.com slash Pokesports. You can check us out on Twitter at, uh, at Pokesports Pod or on Instagram or Patreon at Pokesports Podcast. Um, so again, thank you, Cybertron. I hope that uh, the Champions Cup goes incredibly well, and I'm super excited to see it. Um, everybody, I hope you also uh, got the chance to check it out as well. And uh, we will speak to you next time. Thank you so much for listening and see you then. Bye. Congrats on your play button too, dude. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs>